Section fifty two, volume three, chapter eighteen of Mrs. Armitage or Female Domination by Mrs. Gore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor. Chapter eighteen. Well, well, the world revolves upon its axis, and all mankind turn with it, heads and tails. We live and love make war and pay our taxes and as the veering wind shifts shift our sails byron december gloomy december had now made his appearance in the country crawling with his usual sullen pace and arrayed in his customary mantle of snow seemingly unconscious that three families at least of the west riding were inflamed to fever heat by the unseasonable caloric of family discord the wemmersleys raging for the defection of their rich uncle from carolina and refusing to be comforted holywell divided against itself and the grange the torpid obsolete uneventful grange distracted by mysterious commotions and inexplicable afflictions lord wildingham was in fact less mistaken than may have been inferred in his belief that his devotions had produced a favourable impression on the feelings of rosamond devonport educated as she had been in strict retirement to her his faults were less obvious than to other people her mind remaining unbiased by conventional rules or the verdicts of that lord chief justice the ermine-rolled great world even as wyndham spalding even as the perpetrator of piebald english and the wearer of fancy waistcoats she discerned nothing disagreeable in the handsome young lord who thought and spoke her so fair it was in vain that mistress di abused him as a spalding or miss avarilla anathemized him as a material unintellectual being rose persisted in thinking him very captivating very entertaining deriving from nature rather than la rochefoucauld the axiom that old men and young women cannot talk of love without making themselves ridiculous she had been keenly alive to the absurdity of leonidas lomax's addresses and willing to resign them to die or penelope as she or he thought proper even when lord downham the superannuated cupid came saw and smiled he did not conquer at the grange miss devonport seeing him so devotedly in love with himself could not fancy he would ever sincerely attach himself to a wife but when lord wildingham immediately on his accession of fortune and independence in defiance of the opposition of the marinham family in defiance of surly porters and gaunt mastiffs found means to assure her that although now his own master he was more than ever her slave rose became confirmed in her preference and made no secret of it to her spinster guardians in vain did avarilla rant and diana rave in vain did the more persuasive voice of the infirm margaret faltering with emotion implore their young charge to beware of the frailty of her own heart and the ascendancy of human passion rose promised to be docile to their authority to marry only with their consent but she had not courage to deny herself the happiness of an interview with lord wildingham 
whenever he found means to reach the green terrace sheltered by the feathering beech trees her attachment in short heightened by opposition apparently inconsistent and irrational hourly increased lord wildingham avowed with so much candour the faults and follies of his past life and seemed to attach such earnest hopes of happiness to his influence over her affections that it was impossible to withhold the confession that his love was warmly and even gratefully returned rosamond admitted her promise never to marry without the consent of her guardians but invited him to wait patiently for a change of opinion on the part of her friends overpowering therefore was her surprise when lord wildingham at their next interview acquainted her that his father had absolutely interdicted their union he protested indeed and with a degree of emotion affording ample attestation of his sincerity that no other woman should ever become his wife that his prospects in life were blighted for ever but took his leave announcing an intention to quit yorkshire to quit england to become a vagrant and an outcast an intention in short to see the face he loved no more even had it been the purpose of rosamond devonport to conceal from her protectresses the result of this painful explanation the effects of a first affliction upon her youthful frame must have rendered further secrecy impossible hers was no common london young lady-like affection springing up in the hot bed of flirtation amid the jangling of orchestras or the perfume of forced exotics cherished for half a season to be dismissed the next in order to make way for the prospects of a better match it was a genuine first love the great event of a pure and secluded life destined like the poison draught fermenting in the goblet of venice to break the unsullied crystal in which it was contained it soon transpired in the neighbourhood that miss devonport had been attacked with delirious fever her life was said to be despaired of and though lady rotherham persisted in declaring that she had always foreseen mischief from the autumnal vapours of the stagnant moat at the grange the lady guardians knew better and had already gathered from the unconscious lips of their protege an admission that despair was sinking her to the grave and now it became their turn to tremble for although the iron frame of mistress di laughed to scorn all mortal ailments having survived five falls from her horse such as might have pounded into dust the irish giant or jack baltimore while miss avarilla enhanced in the mysteries of the homeopathic system defied both death and doctors yet the untimely end of the gentle sophia armitage was too recent and its cause too generally suspected to admit of their making light of the influence of a broken heart they trembled but talked long and loudly while they trembled scolded each other and all the household overcome by apprehensions for the fate of one whom in spite of all their old maidenly peevishness they loved and valued above all on earth but there was one member of the family who neither trembled nor scolded nor even wept while kneeling in motionless despair beside the bed of the unhappy rosamond 
yet whose sympathy was of a far deeper nature than could relieve itself in words the infirm wasted margaret seemed to recover vigour of mind and body in order to watch over the sufferer to minister to her wants to soothe her incoherence her arm supported the weary head her eye stirred not from the altered countenance her ear was alive to the merest murmur emanating from the parched lips margaret maranham found presence of mind whenever some desperate crisis of rosamond's disorder demanded self-possession in her attendance strength to constrain power to subdue she thought for them all she felt for rose alone but above all she even found courage to dispatch the following letter of appeal and explanation to the duke of spalding the grange december eighteen thirty more than thirty years have elapsed since i last addressed you and at that period a letter from my hand was not without its influence over your feelings may it prove so now changed as we are may heaven still grant me the gift of interesting your friendship for on your will to do me service depend not only my life and happiness but a life far dearer than my own yes why should i deny it i am a mother and i sue to you for the preservation of my child for the first time i begin to reproach myself with the estrangement which the wounded pride of my family first called into existence between us heaven knows i cherished no resentment against you the obstacle that parted us was as much of my creation as your own and if the arts of others induced you to act upon the instigations of my petulance i forgave you wyndham fully forgave you from the moment the world assured me you were happy in the affections of another we were both so young at the moment of that first attachment you escaping the vigilance of your tutor and your mother found attraction in a giddy girl of your own age ever ready to welcome you to the grange which presented so ready a resource for your truancy i tyrannised by my elder sister despised by my younger was equally touched by your affections it were vain now to conjecture which loved best who first ceased to love is a matter of no question i do believe that when first you assured me the difference in our religious faith need form no obstacle to our union you spoke in the sincerity of your heart for appreciating the strength of your influence over my mind you fancied your persuasions capable of estranging me from god himself while i blind and miserable that i was doubted not that my eloquence the eloquence of affection would serve to win you into what i hold to be the way of salvation perhaps i might have succeeded yes wyndham perhaps i might have eventually succeeded had not another devoted herself to the task of pleasing you triumphed in the attempt and left me alone in the world oh how desolately alone my young heart swelled within me on perusing your letter stating your conviction that marriage between two persons differing in the forms of their christian profession 
could be productive only of mutual misery for already i had heard from others of the nets spread for you of the gilded cage into which you had been deluded that you were prepared to abandon me not for the love of god but for the love of another and all was soon verified and i was left to my tears to tears that fell not for the loss of a distinguished position in the world but for the loss of wyndham the beloved wyndham with whom i had so often wandered beneath the spreading beech-trees he who had been all in all to me and to whom i once fondly flattered myself i was all in all to my father the disappointment conveyed by your change of sentiment was of a different nature sir wolston regarded you with interest as the affianced lover of his favourite child but with somewhat more than interest as the anticipated proselyte of a faith dear at once to his piety and his pride your conversion to catholicism had been sanguinely predicted at the grange and what was deemed your apostasy was now reviled as a crime even my sisters little as they desired to see me attain so eminent a rank in life mourned over the dishonour that had fallen upon their father's house and when after a few years of marriage of marriage with your protestant bride rumours reached us that you were less happy in your house than might have been expected from its numerous endowments your disappointments excited little sympathy in the family of Marinham. among other mischiefs with which my sisters did not fail to upbraid you was the breaking up of my father's health sir wolston's constitution had long been undermined and the unuttered bitterness with which he resented the slight offered to his favourite child assuredly tended to accelerate the progress of the disorder he took a dislike to the house of his ancestors the grange was too near spalding court for his comfort and the rejoicings of the neighbourhood when sons were born to you or royal favours conceded filled him with disgust year after year he grew more morose more discontented he was even too much engrossed by his vexations to note that his once dear margaret had become feeble wasted wan cheerless and despairing as himself at length it was about five years after your marriage and when chance had brought you in contact with my family it was already triumphantly noticed that you too were dispirited and ill at ease my father resolved to remove from yorkshire to bath he fancied the waters might benefit his health my sisters looked to the gaieties of the place for relaxation and i too was content to quit the spot where i had loved and suffered where i was continually hearing of your domestic cares without the power of ministering to their consolation i had a friend an old convent friend married and settled in the neighbourhood of bath from whose society i expected to derive more comfort than from the grudging regard of my sisters our expectations were fully satisfied my father's health improved my sisters intermingled without reserve in the society of the city while i was permitted to pass weeks and even months at oakstone the seat of my friend mrs meynell my story was fully known to her and 
aware of the blight which had fallen on my early affections it did not surprise her that though scarcely more than five-and-twenty my demeanour should have been sobered and my prospects contracted that i should shrink from a career of vulgar dissipation and find my chief pleasure in her society nevertheless oakstone was not solitary situated midway between bath and bristol the house was enlivened by a rapid succession of visitors by most of whom i was regarded as a sickly hypochondriac old beyond my years gloomy beyond excuse among the favourite guests however was one several years my junior the son of an irish baronet of ancient family whose broken fortunes had compelled him to seek a provision in trade from the first day of his arrival robert o'moran devoted his attentions to me and with a degree of impetuosity savouring of infatuation seemed to glory in the display of his passion mrs meynell as an excuse perhaps for my coldness acquainted him with the peculiarities of my situation but the assertion that i had loved and still loved another whom as she chose to declare i had rejected from religious scruple seemed only to inflame his attachment the reserve of my deportment indeed forbade a positive declaration of his sentiments and trusting on my own part to make him aware of the hopelessness of his pretensions without suffering things to come to a crisis i assumed towards him an air of sisterly regard which i hoped might enable me to enjoy the society of a person i esteemed without subjecting me to the persecutions of his wild attachment for a time o'moran appeared to comprehend and coincide in my views but during a whole summer he found unceasing pretexts for joining our parties at oakstone not a wish did i express but he contrived that it should be instantly fulfilled the mercantile house with which he was connected was engaged in various foreign speculations affording him the means of gratifying caprices such as i might have avowed in all safety in presence of any other person new works rare flowers tropical birds found their way to oakstone in all his words and actions there existed a degree of romantic enthusiasm singularly at variance with the plodding duties of his sober vocation o'moran had given me to understand that he professed the same creed as myself and the name and milesian origin of his family rendered this so probable that i entertained no doubt on the subject i saw however that he was not only a careless catholic but a careless christian that religious duties occupied no share of his attention and on this point especially interested myself to obtain an influence over his feelings absorbed for years by a disappointed passion i little dreamed that my feelings could ever change towards a headstrong lover but after being subjected for months to the devotedness the disinterestedness of his homage i found myself the first to regret his absence whenever he departed from oakstone the first to rejoice on his return at length he discerned 
perhaps at the suggestion of my friend mrs meynell who aware of my unpleasant position with my sisters certainly favoured his views the advantage he had obtained he pressed his suit warmly generously eagerly and the only objection that presented itself was the impossibility of obtaining my father's consent to my union with a person engaged in commercial employments your family i am aware is ancient as my own said i but the prejudiced pride of sir woolston and my sisters will see only the bristol merchant in the son of sir amelia somoran but you are of an age to judge for yourself replied robert and you are independent for heaven knows i seek no fortune with your hand give it me my precious margaret give me only a legal right to call you mine and let time reconcile your father to the match to reconcile my father to the match was i knew a hopeless project my father who had indulged in expectations of beholding his favourite daughter the bride of the duke of spalding at that moment i received a letter couched in no gracious terms recalling me to bath my sisters wrote reproaching me with my preference for the low society frequenting oakstone and i understood at once to whom and what they alluded bitter i foresaw were the taunts that awaited me and o'moran distracted at the prospect of a separation fatal to his hopes grew more vehement than ever prostrated himself at my feet wept threatened implored and finally obtained my consent and the sanction of my imprudent friend to our clandestine marriage there was no difficulty in obtaining the services of the priest attached to the household of mrs meynell the usual forms of confession previous to the administration of the holy sacrament of marriage were duly observed by both parties and in the domestic chapel of oakstone in presence of my friend and a confidential servant i became the wife of robert o'moran five days elapsed in mutual security when an angry letter of recall from my father rendered indispensable my return to bath never had i found his peevish despotism so hard to support never had the overbearing temper of my elder or the sarcastic bitterness of my younger sister so overpowered my feelings as now when all their insinuations nay even open invectives were directed against him who was secretly my husband o'moran and myself had devised measures for a private correspondence and my sole consolation arose from the power of pouring forth to him the history of my domestic vexations i was compelled to own that my hope of reconciling my father to the idea of our union grew daily more remote and when in the course of a few weeks robert continued to visit me privately at bath it was agreed between us that after a month's further attempt i should avow the truth and hazard the penalty of my disobedience within that period however when approaching one evening to the fatal subject in general conversation with my family i happened to allude to the o'morans as professing the same ancient faith with ourselves you either deceive yourself or you would deceive us replied my sister amarilla 
i have taken repeated occasion to inquire into the circumstances of the family the o'morans are protestants orangeites beggars one daughter ran off from cheltenham with the son of a gloucestershire clothier the other is married to a demerara planter one son is a refugee in america one a nobleman's agent and one a bristol slop-seller all these particulars may be true i calmly replied with the exception of the first sir emilius o'moran may be a beggar but he is unquestionably a roman catholic again my assertion was denied and in such contemptuous terms that i resolved to apply to my husband for written confirmation of the fact but o'moran was absent when my letter reached bristol having indeed previously apprised me that the affairs of his house would necessitate a fortnight's excursion to guernsey and during the delay produced by this inopportune expedition miserable presentiments began to prey upon my mind at length his answer arrived it was dated from st helier's and the first words that met my eye i have deceived you forgive me my most beloved margaret for having hazarded the only protest which could make you mine i am indeed a member of the protestant church confirmed my worst apprehensions on the very day the tidings reached me that i had no legal no spiritual claim upon a husband i obtained the certainty that i was to become a mother wyndham judge of the agony of my feelings End of volume three chapter eighteen